Welcome to The People's Lawyer, a podcast from the National Association of Attorneys General, the nonpartisan organization representing America's attorneys general. In each episode, we'll explore the role of the 56 state and territory AGs as chief legal officers for their states and their work protecting the rule of law and the U.S. Constitution. My name is Allison Gilmore, and I'm chief communications officer at the National Association of Attorneys General. In this episode, Montana Attorney General and NAG President Tim Fox chats with Delaware Attorney General Kathy Jennings. Well, joining me for today's uh, The People's Lawyer podcast is my colleague and good friend, uh, Delaware Attorney General Kathy Jennings. Uh, Kathy, thanks for joining me here today uh, with uh, the uh, podcast, and I'm looking forward to our conversation, and, and I hope you're doing well. Thanks, Tim. It's great to hear your voice, and I look forward to our conversation. Super. Well, hey, you know, in preparation for uh, today's podcast, I did a little bit of homework, although we know each other relatively well. Uh, you were uh, you, you took office in uh, 2019, I believe, the 46th Attorney General in Delaware, and uh, you got right to work building uh, relationships with your colleague attorneys general, and, and that includes me. Uh, but I'm, I've already learned a few things, uh, I, and I... As we uh, visited a little bit before uh, starting the podcast, I made the comment that if there was anyone prepared to be a, an attorney general, it had to be you. Uh, would you, you know, tell our audience a little bit about your career path uh, and the experience that you've had both in, in an attorney general office and outside and how that prepared you to be Delaware's attorney general? Well, Tim, thank you for your kind comment. And I absolutely love this job. It, it is the product of so many years of work on criminal justice issues and looking out for other people and trying to make the lives of the people around us better. I've had a great career to date, but nothing is like the role of attorney general in that you just have an opportunity to do so much good in so many ways. My background is largely in the area of criminal law. I knew quite frankly in my first year in law school uh, that criminal law was my passion. And by the end of law school, I knew that I also wanted to be a trial lawyer. And the combination of those two interests led me to the attorney general's office in Delaware. Delaware is somewhat unique among attorneys general in the country in that we have plenary criminal jurisdiction, which means there are no district attorneys. There is only a statewide office of the criminal division in the attorney general's office. And so we are responsible for the prosecution of all crimes from misdemeanor to murder. And that's where I started. I started in the criminal division of our office. I was the second woman in the office in the criminal division. And I have to say back then it was an all male world and it was a world that, uh, you know, could be intimidating for people walking in and certainly walking into the courtroom. Uh, but I was incredibly lucky because there was a woman here uh, as, a, as a prosecutor who took me under her wing, mentored me, uh, showed me how to try a case, and I tried my first rape case with her. 
I am grateful to this day uh, that she helped me along the way. And I think it's so important that as attorneys general, we help others who follow us um, to, to become really good lawyers and to serve the public. And so in my background, I started out handling misdemeanor cases and quickly moved on to uh, handle the most compelling cases in our state domestic violence. I joined, after handling many domestic violence trials, I joined the first ever rape response unit in our office and prosecuted rape cases, including serial rape cases, and then began to handle homicides. I was assigned to an investigation of what became Delaware's only serial killer a man who abducted, tortured, and murdered five women in Delaware over the course of a year. We investigated that case for a year, uh, along with a, a very large task force of law enforcement officers, FBI experts, and others. And we made an arrest based primarily on DNA. DNA at that time had only been accepted in a, a few courts around the country as a forensic tool for identification. And it was the first time that DNA evidence was accepted in a court of law in Delaware. Now it's routine. It's routinely utilized to both the prosecutor uh, in convicting as well as exonerating people and excluding them from being suspects. And so that experience to me was remarkable. Um, I got to see what horrific consequences of victimization uh, there are really up close and personal. Many of the women um, were victims of human trafficking, victims that we now think of human trafficking. Um, and their lives had been very difficult, many of whom came from extreme poverty, uh, many of whom had been abused as children only to be killed by this man. And I think each step along the way, whether it's the prosecution of domestic violence, rape cases, or murder cases, what has always struck me is the ability of an attorney to both empathize and translate the trauma that a victim goes through into action and the cause of justice. And so that's what I spent the majority of my career at the Attorney General's office doing until I was asked by then Attorney General Charlie Oberly to become his chief deputy. And the world expanded. We. Uh, we created the first ever consumer protection unit in our office. We sought legislation that enabled the consumer protection unit to have um, strong enforcement powers. And then eventually that unit became the fraud division in our office, which is uh, a dynamic and large and ever increasing uh, unit with great jurisdiction, most recently to include white collar crime. And so we've seen some real changes uh, in the office over the years, but one thing remains true. It's the best place I've ever worked. I spent many years as a defense attorney and that was compelling work as well. I got 
to see the other side of the criminal justice system and all the shades of gray that make up a lot of the cases that come into the system. And in, in that sense, the most compelling case I handled was the case of a young man, uh, he was 16 at the time, and his older cousins had brought him down from New York to be the lookout in an armed robbery of a gun shop here in Delaware. He stayed outside. He had no prior criminal record to speak of. And the cousins who went inside shot and killed the owner of the gun store. He and the others were arrested shortly thereafter. He was convicted and given multiple life sentences as a 16-year-old boy. I represented him for the first time during post-conviction proceedings, long after his guilty verdict, long after his appeals, direct appeals had been exhausted. And I felt that there was an injustice there. Lawrence, by the time I met him, had spent more than half his life in prison. And we worked on post-conviction appeals, several of which were denied and one day I went to the prison to tell him about the last denial. And when I met with him, there's a glass partition between us. I put my hand up to the glass. He put his hand on the other side. And I said, Lawrence, I will never forget you. Lo and behold, a couple of years later, the United States Supreme Court decided that mandatory life sentences for juveniles violated the Eighth Amendment to the United States Constitution. He received a resentencing hearing as a result of that case, and he's a free man today. So those, those events, both the prosecution and representation of victims in the system and the representation of that young man have gelled uh, into, frankly, the reason why I ran for office. Um, I'd never run before, Tim. I, I uh, had always been either a second or third in command <laughs> in various government agencies, but I was compelled to run because I believe deeply in our justice system, and I know that we can make it more fair, more equal for everyone, regardless of the color of our skin, the size of our wallet, or the zip code where we live. And that's really been my passion uh, since I became Attorney General. Well, Kathy, that's a great uh, background, and I, I can hear the passion in in your voice, Stephen. And, uh, and I agree with you. This this is the best job I've ever had, too. And you can make uh, a lasting impact. Uh, kind of, you know, feeding off of that experience, and and you know the the reasons that you decided to run. And, and that's not an easy uh, decision for those of us that are elected, right? I mean, it, campaigns can be tough. They can sometimes be nasty. Um, and they're a lot of work. Uh, but uh, I think for those of us that who have taken that step and actually got you know, elected into a job like the attorney general's job, uh, we, we learn that we uh, probably should have been more passionate about campaigning because uh, it's just such a great job. So tell us a little bit about how that uh, criminal law experience, both as a defense lawyer and a prosecutor, and your experiences with the good things about the criminal justice system and the things that needed fixing have 
how has that motivated you to do things in the attorney general's office or uh, making change? What what have you done as attorney general and what are you doing uh, with respect to the criminal justice system and, say, uh, reform? Well, thanks for asking that, Tim. I I am so lucky to have an amazing leadership team around me. So nothing that's been accomplished since I became Attorney General is owing to Kathy Jennings. It is owing to everyone working together, passionately, hard, hard work, but also very compelling work. And so, you know, it's easy for all of us as human beings to point the finger at other people and say, you're to blame for this criminal justice system that we live with today. Uh, you need to change this or you need to change that. Instead, we did, I think, what is the most difficult thing to do and look inside ourselves. So we looked internally into our office's practices and there were certain standards that we wanted to meet inside the office. What is the just and fair thing to do? Are we giving people the chance that they need to succeed and to lead a law-abiding life? And what are the impediments that that individual is facing to doing that? Is it substance abuse disorder? Is it mental illness? Is it a combination of those? Is it lack of skills, lack of education? I mean, there are just a variety of, of things that can lead someone to commit unlawful acts. And it's incumbent upon us as prosecutors to divert people away from the justice system when it's safe to do so and into treatment. And so our prosecutors have been really busy uh, to helping people to avoid criminal convictions uh, for low-level crimes. We have fought really hard to get the courts to stop arresting people who are too poor to pay fines and fees. And I'm happy to say that uh, one of the emergency orders that came out of our courts recently was to do just that, to no longer issue arrest warrants for people who cannot pay their fines and fees. And so the challenge first was changing our internal practices, both in the way we look at cases, the way we look at people accused, and how we resolve those cases in the best interest of society and in the best interest of the accused. That has led to a, a lower rate of imprisonment in Delaware. And so there are certain data points, I think, that, that are fundamental to the analysis of whether what we're doing is working, is it successful? And what we've seen is that over the course of the last year and a half, uh, we have reduced the number of habitual offender petitions where someone gets a life sentence, three strikes and you're out for drug crimes. We have reduced those petitions 90%. We have reduced the number of juveniles who are treated as adults by two thirds. And we have um, reduced the detention population by 20% in our prisons, uh, mostly owing to keeping low level uh, people accused of crime out of jail because they're too afford bail. And so we believe 
that you have to measure that against the crime rate to make sure that we are keeping at the same time people safe and we are focused. Our priority is on prosecuting truly violent crime and making sure that people who are victimized are given justice. And so the crime in Delaware continues to fall. Um, there's a lot more work to do. We, we partnered with uh, really outstanding legislators in the first session I experienced as an attorney general of the legislature and got 11 criminal justice reform bills passed in one session. The most compelling of those have been to restore discretion to judges in the sentencing process. We have great judges in Delaware. They're appointed. They're appointed for their judgment, for their wisdom, for their experience, yet we take away the ability for them to have discretion in sentencing. We got a bill passed that restored that discretion. We had a bill passed that, for the first time in Delaware, enabled people with low-level convictions to have their records expunged when they had shown that they were rehabilitated. And so that enables people to get jobs. That, that was a bipartisan uh, bill that passed in our Senate unanimously and almost unanimously in the House. And why? Because it made sense. It was a jobs bill. Finally, uh, among the bills we, we were able to get passed was a deep reform of our drug laws. In studying the data on race in, in prosecutions of drug crimes in Delaware, we learned that even though it's nationally believed and studied that uh, people of different races use drugs pretty much equally, that uh, black people in Delaware were being arrested for felony level drug offenses at a rate of 70%. Uh, as opposed to their population in Delaware, which is 20%. So we dug deep and tried to figure out why is this racial disparity there? Because the arrest for misdemeanor drug offenses was higher among white populations. And it came down to some pretty simple stuff. The aggravating circumstances punish the simple possession of drugs as a felony when you have those drugs within a thousand feet of a school, a park, um, a playground. And if you wake up in the city of Wilmington in the morning and you have a misdemeanor amount of drugs, you are automatically arrested for a felony. So we removed a lot of those aggravators that had a racially disparate impact. I don't think the intention was to have a racially disparate impact, but the reality was it did. And those changes in the drug laws also received bipartisan support. So I'm pretty optimistic. We have a lot more work to do. We have a lot more work to do in juvenile justice. We have to um, stand up a sentencing commission in Delaware that is looking at national trends and evidence and that studies race much as we did in the drug, drug uh, arena. But I'm just so proud of the people I work with that they got all of this done. And I'm proud of our, our General Assembly and also proud of the governor for signing these bills into law. Well, that's uh, in, incredibly impactful. And I think a lot of folks uh, don't know how, you know, attorneys general can help shape policy and law. We, we 
do similar things here. I've been through four legislative sessions in Montana. We've had 51 bills uh, that have been drafted uh, and proposed by our agency, uh, working with a lot of different folks, whether it be in criminal law, consumer protection, or what have you. And 49 of those bills have been passed overwhelmingly in our legislature and signed by a governor of a different party than me. And uh, half of those bills I asked to be uh, carried by Democrat legislators and the other half uh, by uh, Republican legislators. And we worked hard to choose, you know, people who are passionate about the issue, who would spend the time and work, you know, getting up to speed if they weren't already. Uh, were great advocates, great on their feet. You mentioned that, you know, much of the work that you just uh, talked about was, you know, received bipartisan uh, support. How has your office and maybe even you personally interacted with the legislature and the governor's office to get that done? Well, Tim, before I answer that, it is no surprise to me that you have been so successful uh, in working with your legislature and achieving justice for people in your state because you have, I will say, an almost unique ability to reach across the aisle and to find common ground and to do it in a courteous and professional way. Uh, I'm just so lucky to have met you <laughs> because you have these, these qualities that inspire me. Uh, and in those moments when I want to devolve into partisanship, I just think of you, Tim Fox. <laughs> and I, you know, the oh, thing I was trying to say that. <laughs> but the same <laughs> is true in our legislature. I, I think finding common ground is where we really need to be. That doesn't mean we always do the easy stuff. You know, the, the hard stuff is is in front of us and attorneys general across the country are willing to tackle that hard stuff. But it also involves understanding others' points of view, respecting them and seeing where we can come together. Well, that I think is important. And, you know, you and I were on a conference call yesterday with about 20 attorneys general and and uh, Democrats, Republicans, uh, many spoke passionately about issues um, and uh, we were all, you know, working together, pulling together, listening to one one another's points of view and opinions, uh, and being very respectful. And I think that's one of the things that uh, the National Association for Attorneys General of Attorneys General um, has been able to accomplish is bringing people of various political views and philosophies together, as you say, to find that common ground. And you know, we've seen a lot of that collaboration here more recently during the COVID-19 pandemic. And you mentioned that you were on the, you know, the ground floor of, of building your Office of Consumer Protection in the Delaware Attorney General's Office before you became Attorney General. Can you tell us a little bit about what uh, your office has been doing either locally there in Delaware or working with other attorneys general uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic on things like consumer protection? We are fortunate to have, first of all, an outstanding relationship with our governor and our civil division, uh, which, as in many attorneys general offices throughout the country, represents uh, various state agencies, boards and commissions, has really pivoted 
to becoming an annex of the governor's office in this sense. Um, I think the governors in our states have the toughest job in the country right now because they have to make sure that the people in their states are healthy and safe to the extent possible. And at the same time, um, balancing the fact that economies are suffering greatly uh, as a result of this pandemic. And so our governor, like everyone else, had to face these realities and issue executive orders after declaring a state of emergency. Our office became uh, the uh, research arm of the governor's office. We did all of the background research along with their counsel, as well as drafting executive orders, uh, issuing guidelines to enforce those orders, and drafting more executive orders as circumstances changed. And so that's really been, I think, a, a unique role for our civil division. And it's one that that is a direct help to the people we serve. And so they're tremendously proud and justifiably so of the work they've done here. Our consumer, our consumer protection division uh, moved pretty rapidly to set up a price gouging website and to monitor all price gouging complaints. We joined forces with the U.S. Attorney's Office to form uh, a task force to protect the CARES Act money that was coming to Delaware and make sure that it was protected from fraud and abuse. And so, you know, I would say we've worked pretty gosh darn well, but one of the stories I'd like to tell quickly is unique. And that is that we were very concerned in our office uh, with the, the well-being of domestic violence victims during the stay-at-home order because uh, many domestic violence victims don't have access uh, through their phones or computers to the outside world. And typically their only access would be um, at work or at church or other places uh, publicly. All of that was closed off to them. And so we're very worried that domestic violence instances would go unreported, that um, there would be more people in danger. And we called upon uh, advocates in our state and said, what can we do to help? And the advocate said to us something that quite frankly surprised me, get us as many burner phones as you can possibly get. And I said, why? And they said, well, this is the only access the victims we serve, our clients, are going to have to the outside world. It's their phone. No one else in the household needs to know about it. And they can use it to contact us directly. And so we did just that. My assistant, AJ Dillion, reached out to a company that wants to remain nameless uh, and said, can you give us a bunch of burner phones in Delaware? And within a week, we had 100 burner phones delivered to advocates who turned them over to domestic violence victims. It's just one story, but it, it really speaks to the work that attorneys general offices can do um, in very unique ways. And certainly during this pandemic, we have all been working together as attorneys general 
to make sure that um, we're listening to each other and pivoting off each other's ideas as well as the uh, hard work that we're doing and, and joining forces when we have interests in common. And I have appreciated your collaboration. I, I'm thinking about, you know, you were sworn into office in January of 2019. Here it is, August of 2020. So you've been in office just over a year and a half, a uh, year and eight months, essentially. <clears throat> and all the things that we just discussed, that happen, all has happened in a fairly compact period of time. And as you mentioned, you haven't done any of this by yourself. Of course, you are the leader. Uh, you're the one that, uh, you know, uh, charts the direction, if you will. But it's just remarkable. I think this is an example, your leadership in your time in office, uh, just how much someone can accomplish in public service. And so I want to close with this question. You've been in public service pretty much your entire life, you talked about your time as a defense attorney. Uh, our Constitution is important, and the right to counsel is important, and I see that actually as public service as well, uh, particularly uh, for those that uh, can't afford attorneys. Um, you know, what you've described in the last 30 minutes or so is got to be tremendously rewarding and impactful for you personally both as a professional and just as an individual, what advice would you share for young people, you know, like yourself who had wonderful mentors in law school and out of law school um, that helped you form your direction? Um, what can you tell young people about considering a career in public service and more specifically about considering uh, public service in the office of an attorney general? My advice is quite simply to find your passion and your heart, and you'll never work a day in your life. And if your passion and your heart is to help make this world we live in a better place, then come to the attorney general's office in your state because each and every day, you get to make people's lives better. It's the best job in the world. Well said. Well, I'm incredibly uh, blessed and feel very fortunate, Kathy, to have served uh, uh, with you as an attorney general and, and worked with you in the uh, National Association of Attorneys General. Uh, and uh, my time as attorney general will come to a close here uh, in January, but I hope to continue to uh, work with attorneys general and and uh, as a, a SAGE member, they call it, the Society of Attorneys General Emeritus. And um, I look forward, Kathy, to uh, continuing through the end of this year working uh, with you and our colleagues. And I look forward to seeing you sometime soon in person. Likewise, Tim. You're a colleague. You're a friend for life. And I look forward to seeing you as well. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The People's Lawyer. We look forward to bringing you additional insights about the work of state attorneys general, including conversations with individual AGs about important legal issues in future episodes. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at naag.org or email podcast at nag.org.